And I want to start this morning in Romans chapter 1. I wanted to share something with you that has just been stirred in my heart. And I believe this is something that God has just rekindled within me. (laughs) And I want to share this with you. I appreciate Chase seeking the Lord. He and I did not talk, but he spoke a lot or sang a lot about the goodness of God. Even things Michelle was saying, we didn't talk about these things, but just what God had impressed upon her. I just want to express this to you today, and I want you to appreciate the goodness of God. And in Romans chapter 1, he tells us this very clearly in verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And it goes on to show the deterioration of these people. They would go on to change the very attributes or nature of God. They would, they would imagine a God that was more like them. And once God is changed, then they change the word of God. They change his truth into a lie. Because if you can change God, then you can change what God says. And you can interpret what God means. And so we're living in a church world that's a lot like that today. We've got a lot of modern Christians today, if you will. I use the term loosely. We've got a lot of modern Christians today who are, who are extremely biblically illiterate, but they want to go around telling us what the Bible says and what God says. And it's really uh, an interesting thing. I encourage you to do it. When, when one of these modern Christians comes around to kind of tell you what God says and what God means, ask them where that is in the Bible. And nine times out of 10, they have no clue because they're, they're taking things and ideas and putting them together to try to represent what they want God to say. They, they want God to look a particular way in our culture today. But God does not change. The Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And though we may create an idol and call that God, or call that Jesus, or call that Jehovah. Whatever we do to change in our minds the nature of God or the attributes of God, we have started to worship another God. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. And when we change God's truth, you can say whatever you want to say. I can say whatever I want to say. The Holy Spirit is not going to back up your opinions. But when they preached the truth according to Mark 16, the Holy Spirit worked with them, and he did incredible miracles. And we're living in a world today that needs to see the demonstration of God's power. Not just the declarations of things we want to say about God, but people would actually be able to see God, see God in his power. And I think a lot of times our thoughts and our theories have gotten in the way of God. We've kind of blinded the world to God and all that the world really needs to see is Jesus and the church should be a revelation of him and we should be a demonstration of him. And so when you look at Romans chapter one, if any of you are worried about our society today or our culture today or the movements that we have going on from wokeism to trans to Marxism or whatever it may be, I think Romans 1 is your answer. Romans 1 is the explanation for immorality and sexual immorality, homosexuality, sexually transmitted diseases that are incurable, and then violence, crime, hate, human trafficking, drug abuse, addictions of all sorts. Romans 1 answers all of that. It answers it all. And I just simply say that this this deterioration begins 
by a people, the Bible says very clearly what we just read, when they knew God, they did not glorify him as God and neither were they thankful. And God has demonstrated himself. God has expressed himself even in his creation. The invisible, the visible things of creation are declaring the invisible things of God. Even when we look into the heavens and we send these web telescopes and Hubble telescopes and all these things out into creation, that's kind of changing science and kind of changing the way science believed how everything started. And they're, they're more confused than they used to be because of these things that they're seeing. They're, they're looking into the power of God and they cannot explain God. There are things they just don't understand and they're having to admit that. And I love to see science humbled before something that they cannot put in a test tube or observe through a telescope. And that is the glory and the power of our God who is the creator of the heavens and the earth. And so God has demonstrated his power there and his glory there. And all men, the Bible says, are without excuse. The Bible says in the book of Psalms that the sun is is a messenger, if you will. And every day the sun runs its circuit through the earth and it goes from east to west and is declaring the glory of God. It's just a, 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 a loud declaration that God is God and God is creator and men are without excuse. And it says, and when they knew God, they glorified him not and neither were they thankful. And I just want to take that because that's the, that's where it all begins. The downward spiral right there is that we find and we find a way, we find an excuse that gets us out of glorifying God, that gets us out of praising God. And it's troublesome when that happens, even as a believer, when, when you deem it proper, you, you, you consider it to be right, that, you know what, I just don't need to praise him right now. I don't need to glorify God right now. I'm in a really bad season of my life. I'm in, I'm in, a, really, I'm in a place where there's a lot of confusion in my life. And I'm, I'm sorry, I just can't see God's goodness right now in my life. Well, the Bible says, and, and if you will, just look at those verses again, verse 21. And it says this, that when, when a person does not glorify God and they don't thank God, then this is the consequence, okay? So you listen, if you don't want to praise God, you don't have to. If you don't want to be thankful, you don't have to be thankful. You don't have to glorify God. But just understand there are consequences, all right? So you don't have to do it. And if you don't do it, then you will experience the consequence, if you do it, then you will obviously under, or experience the blessing of God. And so the consequences of withholding this from God is a vain imagination and a foolish heart that's darkened. Th- that's the consequence. When, when we do not glorify God and we do not thank God to give thanksgiving to God, who is worthy of thanksgiving every single day of our life. 
And I would look around Sunday morning, this is church, and so my assumption is that all of you are, are born again and you're saved. You're not going to hell and you're going to heaven. You should be thanking God, you know, that, that God is your God. He's rescued you and he saved you. And yes, you've got maybe a multitude of problems right now. And we could have a, a club that says problem-free club and it'd probably be nobody in it. All right, And so we're rejoicing in God and giving thanks to God because God has saved us from hell. He's written our names in the Lamb's book of life. He has demonstrated his love for us through the cross. And though I go through something in my life I don't understand, I will not allow this moment to define God for me. I cannot do that. I've mentioned this to you before, but I think a lot of people take their life out of context. They take God out of context, just like they take the Bible out of context. People build religions because they pull a verse of scripture out of the Bible and, 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 and now everything means that. And, and that's the intention of everything. And, and cults and, and, and abuses all come because we've taken God's word out of context. Well, you, you can't do that to really know what the word is saying. You have to be in context. And that just simply means that this verse is also surrounded by other verses. What do they say? And these verses are in chapters, if you will. It's in the context of a writing. So what is the writing all about? And if I really want to know what's being said in a verse, I need to have a bigger picture of what the letter is about. What is the letter to the Romans? What is this all about? So I can understand the context of that. And, and we do that a lot of times in our life because we experience something in our life and we immediately begin to make judgments. We make judgments about life. We make judgments about God. We make judgments about whether God is good or not. We, we make judgments about whether we should serve God or not because of a moment that I'm going through in time. And yet the Bible says that we are immortal. And so if I'm going to allow this, this 10 years of my life to tell me who God is then I'm not going to have an accurate picture of God. And I'm not going to have an accurate understanding of life because I'm taking life out of context. There's more to my life than 10 years. There's more to my life than these moments. There's more to my life than this event. And so I refuse to allow an event or my past or a sin to define who God is and who I am. I would rather go to the word of God and let God define who he is because he's the only one who knows the end from the beginning. And because he knows the end from the beginning, God can say, I am the Lord, I change not. Oh, praise God. So he, he knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. He never changes. He was a healer yesterday. He's a healer today. Righteous yesterday, righteous today. Loving yesterday, loving today. Good yesterday, good today. Because he knows the end from the beginning. And that's what he says he is. And then he declares a future for us. I shall be like him. Like his son, Jesus Christ. So I'm not going to get bogged down in this, though my flesh would. My flesh would get bogged down in depression. My flesh would get bogged down in despair. My, my flesh would be overcome with worry and stress and fret. My, my mind could be flooded with vanity. Just thoughts that 
are without hope, without, without purpose, just doom and negativism. My, my mind could just be filled with that kind of stuff. And then my heart would just be flooded with darkness. There'd be no hope in my heart. Everything is the worst thing. Every, every, every tragedy is the, is the worst tragedy. I, I'll never get out of this. There's no hope for me. There's no future for me. And, and then the thoughts of suicide begin to come into the picture. Why I even live? Nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. No, nobody's interested in me. God doesn't even love me. You know what I'm talking about? All of you that are honest, you know what I'm talking about? rest of you can leave. I mean, honestly, if, if you don't understand that, you're, you're in the wrong place. And, and, and for us that understand that, what does that mean? It means that Romans 1 is true. It means it's true. And we've all suffered from these consequences of not glorifying and thanking God, which is a vain imagination and a foolish heart that's darkened which causes us to profess ourselves to be wise when we became fools. We think nobody loves us, nobody cares about us. We question the goodness of God because we think we're so smart to discern all of these activities and seasons of life and why this is happening. And we think we know. And the moment we begin to lay these heart accusations against God, Because maybe some of us are just extremely religious and we would never admit with our mouth that we've ever questioned God, which you have. Your heart has. Because we have done this in Romans 1. We have not thanked Him. We have not glorified God the way that God deserves to be thanked and the way that God deserves to be glorified. And I get it because I'm one of you. I've, I've had the vain imaginations. I've had the darkened heart. I've, I thought I knew better than God. I, I, I thought I understood. I thought I could discern this. I thought I knew. And I made accusations about people and I was wrong. And I made accusations about God and I was wrong. But my foolishness was manifested in a contemptible wisdom that I thought I possessed. But I realized that I didn't. And my way out was to begin thanking God. That was my way out. Your way in is your way out. And so when I began to thank God in that, and I began to glorify God in that, my heart started to get some light. And when my heart got some light, it shed light on my thoughts and my imaginations. Now we're not so tormenting and negative. I was actually given some very positive things in life from God. A lot of hope from God and everything was not doom and destruction and gloom. There was, there, was a, there was a bright future. There was a great walk with God and life would become very exciting. And, and I could sink into this at any time I stopped doing this. You know that. I'm talking to those of you that are walking with me. The rest of you, I don't know where you are. And so I want you to see this. That Romans 1 brings us into situations where we're not capable sometimes of discerning what God is doing. We're not capable of discerning God's goodness in the moment. And therefore we withhold thanksgiving from God. 
and we we withhold the glorifying of God. And I'm talking about the way God says to do it. I'm not talking about being a bunch of canes in here and saying, well, this is the way I'm doing it. God can take it or leave it. Talking about doing it the way God says. And we can withhold that because we don't discern what God is doing. And life is really painful and it's hard right now and it's difficult. And we can tend to think that we know or that we understand. But God says this, just a few verses. My people are foolish. They have not known me. They are foolish children. And they have no understanding. They are wise to do evil. But to do good, they have no knowledge. That was Jeremiah 4.22. Another passage that God says is, there is none that do good. No, not one. Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. Just get a hold of this. Paul quotes this. And he says, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understand. There is none that seek after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. And then you've got this declaration from Jesus. There is none good but one. Even God. So, God is the good one, and we're not. Now, I know for some of you that's a hard pill to swallow. And until you can swallow that, you're going to pretend to be God's equal. And you're going to contend to make your own judgment of giving God what you feel like He deserves. But when I consider this, it tells me this, that if there are none that are good, except one in all of the universe that is good, and that is God, then where do we get the ability, the audacity, as the bad ones, to somehow judge the good one of whether he's good or not, When he's the only good one and we're all the bad ones. And I would rather God be different than us. Because I've suffered from you guys and you've suffered from me. And I don't mean specifically us. I'm just talking about humans. Wars and fightings and theft and crime and fear and danger and everything else that goes on in the world. And the bunch of us are going to define and determine whether God is good or not when when we have no basis of even knowing what good is unless God tells us what good is. And so we're going 
to do these kinds of things that just amazes me. <clears throat> so I declare the goodness of God. I, I declare that. I celebrate that. I say that with my experiences in life that have been bad. And I say that with my experiences in life that have been good. God is good. And God is worthy to be praised. I want to thank God this morning for the new covenant. I want to thank him. Michelle and I didn't talk about it, but she's standing on the stage doing that. Chase is singing songs about the goodness of God. I think God wants to say something to us today. I thank God for the new covenant. I thank God that the father cut a covenant with his son, Jesus Christ, that has formed an everlasting covenant that cannot be broken. And not by any works of our own or by any righteousness that we could attain to, but by the righteousness of God, which is a gift by faith, we get to enter into this new covenant where we stand righteous before God. I want to thank God for repentance. I want to thank him for that. I want to thank God that he allows me to come to him and admit my sin and my guilt and he forgives me. I want to thank him for that. I want to thank God that 30 years ago or so, Carl and I stood at the grave of our first baby that we buried that I will be able to see her in heaven. I want to thank God that my father is with Jesus in heaven. I want to thank God that Jesus has promised to me a life with him forever and ever in heaven. I want to thank you, God, that you did not lie about to me about this world, about its difficulties and its persecutions and its hardships. I want to thank you that you told the truth to me about what it would be like to follow you, that I'd be hated and we'd be called devils and we would be despised in the offscoring of the world. Thank you that you didn't lie to me about this just to build your numbers, but you were telling me the truth because now I believe you about the future and I believe you about heaven, that we won't weep anymore and we won't die and there won't be all these curses and fightings with the devils and fighting with sin and lust and temptation. It'll all be over. Thank you, God, for coming to get us. I want to thank you, God. I want to thank you for life. I want to thank you for joy. I want to thank you for the Holy Ghost. I want to thank you for making me your temple. I want to thank you for wanting to be a friend to me. Thank you, God, that you want to be my Savior. Thank you, God, that you're my healer. And Lord, when you choose for me to walk through sickness, thank you for your grace that God keeps me before you day and night. I want to thank you, God. I want to thank you, Lord, for all the benefits and the goodness that you do for my life. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have fainted if I couldn't believe it, if I couldn't hope for it, if I couldn't rest in this and to trust the Lord. The Bible says this, and I think it's Hebrews chapter 12, pretty sure it is. 
It says that we are to look to Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of our faith. I want to thank you, God, that Jesus is the author of my faith. And I want to thank you, God, that Jesus is the finisher of my faith. I thank you, God, that Jesus didn't jumpstart my faith and then it was left up to me to make it work until I leave this world. I want to thank you, Jesus, that you started it and you finish it. And I believe that you are the important factors of everything between the two. That you engineer the circumstances of my life to perfect my faith. I thank you for that. I thank you, Jesus, that you are not doing anything in my life to destroy my faith. And I I believe that when my faith is challenged and it becomes weak and I maybe want to give up, I thank you that I know that there's nothing you're doing in my life to make me throw my faith away or to make it smaller or to make it weaker. And therefore, if I'm going down that road, I'm not looking at you. I'm looking at this, and this is destroying my faith, and I've got to look at you. What are you doing? A beautiful example of that is with Lazarus dying. Jesus is just a few miles outside of the place where Lazarus was sick, just a few miles. He could be there in, you know, just a couple of hours at the most. And so Mary and Martha lay Lazarus down because he's sick. He's near death. They know he's near death. He's about to die. And they send a runner to Jesus. Go go get Jesus and tell Jesus, he whom you love is sick. Come and heal him. And so the runner gets to Jesus. I could only imagine Mary and Martha just sitting by Lazarus's bedside while he's struggling to live. And just telling Lazarus, it's going to be all right, Lazarus. Jesus is coming. But he's not. They think he is, but he's not. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that because Jesus loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha, he remained where he was, away from them. So we good people. can pass our judgment on this. And we would say, that's not love. If we get to define it, that's not love. Love does not stay away. Lazarus died. Obviously, whatever he had, I would imagine was painful. It was sudden. And it took his life. And Mary and Martha watched him die Jesus did not go to the funeral. He's only a couple of hours away. And every one of us would say, that's not love. You do not miss the funeral of somebody you love if you can help it. And Jesus, you were not involved in anything. There was no meetings. There was nothing going on. You were just with your 12. You didn't come heal him. You sleep in our house. We financially support your ministry. You've eaten in our home. 
You've healed strangers. And the man you love is sick and he's dying and you don't come. How can God be good? How can this be love? And then you don't go to the funeral. How heartless. How heartless can you be? You know Mary and Martha are distressed and beside themselves. How can you not be there beside them, helping them and caring for them? And oftentimes, that's the way we will do. Because we have a situation in life we prayed about. And, and, then, and now we reckon upon the fact God is good and God loves me. Therefore, he's going to do what I asked him to do. And he's going to do it exactly the way I asked him to do it. And if God doesn't do that, then I conclude he's not love and he's not good. Or he has a problem with me. And if we get to define it, then I understand why we would do that. If we get to define it, but we don't. God defines it. God defines what love is. God defines what good is. And so what is love? Perfect love does what? Cast out all fear. Fear has to do with torment. What did Mary and Martha? No. Jesus can heal Lazarus from his sickness and Jesus can heal Lazarus so he doesn't die. They know that. Jesus knows they know that, but does Jesus want their faith to stay right there? Or does Jesus want their faith to grow? Does he want their faith in God to become greater? And if Jesus simply does what they know and believe, how will their faith grow beyond that? So Jesus allows them to face two things, a challenge to faith and their greatest fear. And the Bible says that death is the king of terror. And so Jesus, in his love, wanted to cast the fear out of Mary and Martha because they were afraid of his death. The power of death. The power of the grave. And Jesus was going to take them from believing that God can heal To the belief that God can raise a man who's been in the grave for four days. And when Jesus shows up, Mary and Martha even begin. He's been in there for four days. His body is decomposing. You know, we know he'll rise again at the last day. He's going to rise today. Do you believe this? He's going to rise today. I have not forsaken you. I have not failed you. I have not failed to show you love. I have not failed to be good to you because I'm about to take you somewhere in your faith you would have never gone to before. And by my love for you, I'm going to drive your fear out from your greatest enemy, your greatest fear. I'm about to defeat him and slay him in front of your eyes. Because that's what love does. So take me to him, Mary and Martha. And they took Jesus to the tomb. And Jesus called Lazarus from the dead. No more fear. Death has no power. Death is not an enemy to be afraid of. And God is good. And God loves us. And Jesus loves us. Look what he's done for us. You say, well, God didn't do that for me. It's because you won't take him to your graveyard. You won't come out of your house of mourning. Jesus would not go into that house of mourning. Martha, you tell Mary to come to me. I'm not going in there. You tell her to come to me. 
But some of us will not get out of the house of mourning and we will not take Jesus to our graveyards that, and, and forever now we live with this perplexity as we, we walk by the tombstone, drive by the tombstone, whatever that tombstone may be, that reminds us this is where God failed you. And the devil will point that out to us every day. No, 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 no. That's not where God failed me. I've got to bring God here. I've got to bring God to this problem. I've got to bring God to this situation and to this confusion. To believe God to move and to work and to deliver even in this. Why is God the only one who's good? The goodness of God is that which disposes him to be kind, cordial, benevolent, and full of goodwill toward men. He is tender-hearted and of quick sympathy. And his unfailing attitude toward all moral beings is open, frank, and friendly. By his nature, he is inclined to bestow blessedness. And he takes holy pleasure in the happiness of his people. God is most glorified When you are most happy in him. Jesus said that in John 15. I want to have this relationship with you. I want to be the vine. I want you to be the branches. I want you to abide in me. And I'm going to let my word abide in you. And you're going to ask whatever you will. My father's going to do it for you. And God's going to get the glory. And you're going to get the joy. This is the heart of our Savior and what he desires to do. So goodness, in order to understand this, I would just simply say what is bad. And being bad is to know what's right and not do it. To have the power to do what's right and not use it. So to be good, you have to know what is good, what is the good thing to do. And to be good, you also have to have the power to do it. Listen to me. Why is God the only one who's good? Because God is the only one who's omniscient. He's the only one who knows everything. He is also the only one who is omnipotent. He is the only one with all power. Therefore, God, knowing, not hoping, not guessing, but knowing what is good and having the power to accomplish that good, there is no other being in the universe that has that kind of capacity Therefore, because you don't, you can't even plan your tomorrow. Because you don't have that capacity and I don't have that capacity, I must put my faith in the one who does have it. And I choose to trust God. And therefore, I have to learn to begin to thank God sincerely with faith for the things that God is doing in my life. And one of the things that God is constantly doing in my life 
is he is creating a discomfort in this world. So that I don't settle down here in this world. And that's really a blessing to me. That God wants me to lay my treasures up in heaven. Now I don't always like it. But it is a good thing and it is a blessing. I would think about times in the past when our country would send soldiers off to war. And the Iraq war is in my mind. And when we would send our soldiers out to war in Iraq. And our soldiers were out there fighting. They're blessed people. They're blessed men. Blessed women. Because they have a great country. And their country is behind them. And their country is supporting them. And their country is, is coming to their aid in whatever their, their needs are. But if our soldiers in Iraq began to buy homes and lands in Iraq. They are now compromised. Because now they don't want to fight in such a way that's going to put their investments in jeopardy. So we do not allow our soldiers to go into the battlefield and buy possessions there. Or to gain inheritances there because it will compromise their fidelity to their own country. Because their own interest would circumvent their commitment to the country. And our God in this world has told us time and time and time again, you are citizens of heaven. This is not your home. You are pilgrims passing through here. And so sometimes God has to move in our life and engineer certain things in our life because God watches us. You're settling down here. I see that you're making investments here and your fidelity is more to this world and to your investments than it is to me and my kingdom. And I've got to shake this up a little bit because I know the plans for your life and the plans are not for you to stay here. And this compromise is going to cause you to serve the world more than it is my kingdom. So I'm going to shake this up a little bit. God begins to shake that up a little bit so that you'll want heaven and you'll want God. And you'll be glad one day that Jesus Christ is coming back. And just the fact that we might be persecuted doesn't mean we go and live like monks in some, in some hole in the world and isolate ourselves. But we're out there in the forefront serving God, even in the midst of persecution, knowing that heaven is my home and to die is gain. I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm going to be with God. God keeps that pull. Of my spirit and my heart towards him. He does that sometimes. Through circumstances I don't understand. And at the time I don't even like it. But I've got to go and reckon with God upon this. And so I say that to you. There's a, there's a beautiful passage of scripture. I just want to read it to you. It's in Isaiah 62. And I'm going to, I'm going to kind of close with this. In Isaiah 62. God expresses so much that's in his heart. One of the things that God says in Isaiah 62. He says in verse 2. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name. Which the mouth of the Lord shall name. You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord. And a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken. And I know a lot of this is to Israel and its land. But I want you to see God's heart. You will no more be termed forsaken, neither shall your land any more be termed desolate. But you shall be called Hephzibah, and your land Beulah. I can do that one. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. Now listen to this. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride... 
so shall your God rejoice over you. Now, I just want to say a couple of things about that. He really does. He really does. God God himself literally sings songs of deliverance over his people. The older I get, the trials that I've been through, the sufferings that I've walked through, have pressed me into what David called the secret place. They've pressed me into that place where you long to see the glory and the beauty of the Lord. Suffering and trials and rejections and accusations and slander and gossip and people who hurt and people who wound and people who abuse has the potential to make me desperately bitter and angry. But God saved my life by turning my heart towards Him to glorify Him and in the midst of it to thank Him. And God sang over me. Really? I'm not making this up. God God himself, God, my friend, God, my companion, God, my savior, held me, sang over me, spoke softly to me, spoke words of comfort when I'm breaking and falling apart. He did for me what no human could do. He taught me things about him and he showed me things about him. Kind of even makes me somewhat excited about trials. In a crazy sort of way. Shannon knows what I'm talking about, right? Who would have thought how close you would get to God that past year? He became your everything. Everything to you. And we come out of those places and all the distractions, right? Life begins to take on its normal thing and we begin. And it's just, I, I I miss God. I miss him. I miss being with him. I miss hearing him sing. I do all the talking now because I have so many aspirations and desires and goals and dreams and I just do all the talking and I just miss sitting there with my father as he holds me and he sings songs of deliverance over me. Thank God for the Holy Ghost who makes this real. God delighting over you like a groom delighting over his bride. That's honeymoon intensity. That's good stuff. And God is saying, that's what I'm like toward you every single day. But you don't know that I'm good. You don't know it. That's why you don't tithe. You don't know that I'm good. That's why you don't serve me with all of your heart. You don't know that I'm good. You just don't know it. 
That's why you don't have this relationship with me because there's something in you that questions that with me. And even though there are hundreds or even thousands of testimonies that people would give as to why I am good, you don't know, but I want you to know. I want you to know my goodness and my kindness. And so as I close, I would say this to you. What are you going to allow to be the defining moment of your life? Have you lived it? Have you lived the defining moment of your life? Say, this is who I am. I went through this, and this is who I am. I haven't. I haven't lived that moment yet. Moses was 80 years old till he had his life-defining moment. I haven't had mine yet. I refuse to allow my past to define me today or my future. Whether my past failures or my past successes... I don't believe any event has the right to define who I am or what I'll be. I believe only God has that right. He's the only one that knows the end from the beginning. And so it's, what do you say? What do you say? David was not going to be defined by a throne. And Elisha was not going to be defined as a farmer with his oxen. He was waiting for those things that God was going to do in his life to define who he is. And I'm going to tell you this, you've got to keep going. You've got to keep going. You've got to keep believing. You've got to be trusting God. You've got to believe God. Because if you don't go on, you're going to give all of those people the ability to gloat over your defeat. And trust me, there are many people who are going to take delight in your defeat. Don't give that to them. You're not a victim. You're chosen of God. You're the apple of His eye. You're his son. You're his daughter. He bought you with his blood. He does not throw you to the wolves or leave you to chance. The life that you live is engineered by God and it is constructed by him to bring about his utmost glory and your utmost joy. So don't stop where you are. Don't lay down and say, this is it. Don't bury yourself in this season. Don't build graves that Jesus has not built. Don't you be the final word on anything and certainly don't let anybody be the final word. Joseph was not going to be defined as a slave and people were not going to define him or Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. They were not going to be defined by the names they were called in Babylon. And some of you have been called names. You've been called bad names. Don't let it define you. You're the son of God. You're the daughter of God. Let God define you. The most important thing faces you right now in believing that God is good is you must hear God. Jesus is the author and the finisher of your faith and some of you are stuck and you just need to go. The only way that can happen is if you hear God. He is the author and the finisher of your faith and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I assure you, God has been speaking. I assure you, He's been speaking. But you got to hear. So Jesus said, let he that has ears hear what the Spirit says. Maybe you need to pray for some ears. Maybe you need to come out of your house of mourning and meet Jesus. Maybe some of us need to take Jesus by the hand and go to our graveyards.
our places of defeat and failure and hurt and abuse. Say, right here, God, I don't understand. I don't understand this. Just does not look to me like you love me. Doesn't look to me like you're good. But I know you're right. I know you are. And I know that you know better. But whatever you know I need, let me hear that. Don't go tell God what he has to do. He's the God. But you go sit before him and say, talk to me. Talk to me, God. I'm hurting. I'm broken. I'm confused. I'm tried. My faith is weak, God. Jesus, you're the perfecter of my faith. Help me. I'm struggling here. Don't worry about what anybody thinks about you. But get to him. Stand with me. Get to him. Bring it to God. These altars are open. You just come. Lay it before the Lord. Nobody's judging you, but we sure love you. I want to help you. God is good. Thank Him. Glorify Him. For He is good. His mercy endures forever. The Lord is good. For His mercy endures forever.